Well, hello and welcome to episode number 370 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, some airlines are going on a to ban alcohol. Sorry, I must be had too much alcohol myself. Started early. High Fly are sharpening up uh, with a three-blade concept, and United Airlines goes boom, boom, boom. And no, that's nothing to do with the Venger boys. In the military, find out why the U.S. Navy are swapping out FA-18s for U.S. Air Force F-16s and F-35s. Have a close call with an AW-139 helicopter over our local airport of Norwich. We've also got a segment all about hurricane hunting from Armando and we've even got some air show news as well this week. So joining me this week uh, beside me here in the PTUK Master Suite studios with his marshmallows and his cider (laughs) it's Matt Smith. Yes I'm being thoroughly spoiled today I don't know he's I don't know whether he received the memo that it's been a difficult week uh, this week, I don't know, but uh, yes, thank mm. you. Very appreciative of my gifts today. You're in a new chair. <laughs> yeah, quite I'm in a new about. chair. Yeah, this absolutely. is lovely and comfortable. Yeah, it has armrests and everything. It's really nice. Absolutely. There we go. But uh, yeah, you've had a you've had a hectic week. You've been busy. You you, mm. you done radio Sunday, didn't you? And then uh, and uh, I'll just tell everyone. I didn't do radio Sunday. You did. Radio I done radio Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> um, I, I had assistance, though. To be fair, Matt yeah. did uh, assist me very kindly. But uh, Matt, you're, you, can I can I tell everyone that you're on radio next week again? No, you can't. Okay, <laughs> he's not on the morning show next week at all. But uh, no, good to good to have you in here. Um, you know, sampling it's my home. cider. I, I know. The other <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me in your home. Oh, so joining us as well this week uh, across uh, across the fields and the lands. In the state and the motorways, the, and the motorways <laughs> about four hours drive away. Yes. It is, of course, the awesome Neville Barnes. Yes, hello, gents. Uh, yeah, a mixed week for me too. Uh, it was Bank Holiday Monday uh, this week, and so uh, that's when I had my second jab, which was great. Uh, went to a funeral yesterday, and then did some hasty replanning of the holiday today ah, due to again right. operational <clears throat> yeah. difficulty, which yeah. no doubt we'll talk about. Yes, I suspect it will yes. be a topic of conversation. Yeah, But uh, obviously we are missing a member of the team this week. And uh, as always, I mean, when has Armando ever not got a very good reason to not be on the show? Because he's always flying some other amazing jet somewhere. We are literally all waiting as a team for the call one day when Armando says... Oh guys, I'm flying Concorde today because it will come, no doubt. You know. Right. I mean, you're aware that that it. it, it <laughs> well, I mean, look at Armando. He could just do anything, so he'll right. probably end up. I meant more that you know it was retired. What? How long ago? Two thousand and five. He doesn't care about things like that. <laughs> oh, okay. But two thousand and three. Sorry, I've been corrected in my ear. But we have still got some uh, some live or some video segments, I should say, to play from Armando. And uh, we have one, actually, uh, to play off uh, at the start of the show. I think he's offering his excuses, isn't he? Yes, Yes. he is, yeah. So uh, hit the button. All right, guys. Apologies that I can't be on the show this week. As you can see, I am out here at the Reno Stead Airport for the Pylon Racing Seminar, which is the precursor to the Reno Air Races in September. This week, this is where all of the uh, currently certified pilots come out for uh, proficiency, come out and do their training, maybe test some new modifications and new technology on the aircraft. In addition to that, anybody looking to get into the sport class air racing, in addition to there's jets parked up there and there's going to have uh, biplanes, Formula Ones. Um, they, anybody looking to get into racing has to come to the Pylon Racing School in 
June and get certified before they can race in uh, September. So again, I'll be uh, sending in some uh, crew logs, whatever we want to call them, some captain's logs. Uh, we still have uh, something you know, to come up with a name for them, but uh, we'll be sending those in uh, for our Patreon supporters. And in addition to that, we'll be doing some, hopefully some interviews and some clips here for the next couple shows. So I'll miss you guys, take care, and uh, we'll see you next week. Wow. Wow. It's, it's worth noting that the I think the first of Armando's special uh, pieces is currently available for our patrons. It is, it? yes. And I see yeah. it was released on, on yeah. Patreon, was it yesterday, I think? Yes, yeah, it uh, was, yeah. And it's well worth oh, the uh, watch if, really uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber. Um, not is, now, obviously. It is well worth a watch. <laughs> don't, just don't, not now. Don't go and watch it right now. now. <laughs> no, <not> now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, as, as Armando said, he's got some bits and pieces coming up later on the show, mm. so we're looking forward to those. Uh, so, uh, we're going to acknowledge, uh, as we all do each week, our awesome YouTube uh, viewers who are in the uh, chat room this evening. Quick run through. Lee Davis, hello to you. We've got uh, Captain Cruz. Uh, we've got Alan White. Hello to you, Alan. Hope you're well. David Corson's joined us from Spain. Hope things are good over there, buddy. And I hope you're doing some flying as well. Uh, Mazus, hello to Mazus Karim. Hope you are well. And we've also got scrolling down John Jester. Hello to you, John. Uh, to Richard Adams. Just make sure I don't miss anyone else out who is joining us this evening. And Neville, uh, Neville Bounds is obviously keeping an eye I've on heard him with the, the blue spanner of death. So hello to you. <laughs> <laughs> so don't forget. Uh, Why if, are you saying what you can just say? He's right in front of you. He's right in front of me. I know. <laughs> so don't forget if you are listening to the audio version of this show. So if you're listening to us waffle on here as we do each week, uh, but you fancy joining us over on YouTube, don't forget to look for us on YouTube. Uh, Plain Talking UK, just search for us on YouTube and uh, also don't forget to uh, click on that subscribe button as well and those regularly in the chat room will know we normally have a bit of pre-show and post-show banter uh, which you can interact directly with us the hosts and uh, we do have a great fantastic community in the chat room is a whole other side of the podcast uh, which is only available when we are live so make sure you do join us uh, as we all are now in mm. the YouTube chat room um, because you guys really do make the show what it is. Absolutely. So, Nev, it is that time of the month when we uh, thank a load of people, isn't it, Nev? We do, and of course we couldn't do the show without you. So, uh, the people that have supported us this month, uh, a new supporter actually, uh, Sasha Beer. Thank you very much indeed, Sasha. Very kind of you. Uh, Stephen Ivey, Nicholas Codling, Warren Dixon, Louis Kasharis, uh, Andrew van der Sarg, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Megan Carrion, uh, Jacob Darlington-Brown, Nicholas Hewitt, Masha, Owen, Reuben Wells, Neil Lamborn, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Matt Caton, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Myler, uh, Evan Shue, Philip Labe, Stuart Backer, Ray Williams and Stephanie Plummer. Those are the people who have donated by Patreon and the PayPal donators are Jenny Parkinson, Tony Stubbings and Mazuz Kareem. Many thanks to you one and all. As I said before, we couldn't do the show without you. Thanks ever so much. Indeed, actually, and uh, what I just uh, mentioned uh, very quickly also is that uh, those of you who are Patreon, uh, who are PayPal donators, sorry, we will send you the link for um, Armando's um, 
What, what, what did we we, we, sort of, need, we need we yeah, need to come up with a name, name for these videos. I think, don't I think we? we called it. I think we sort of got close to calling it. Yeah, crew check-in is is the nearest we got to yeah. it. But anyway, whatever it is, it's called. We'll make sure that those are passed on to our our PayPal donators as well because it's a really great video, and uh, his life is insane, isn't it? Or oh, if you listeners can think of a good name for yeah. Armando's uh, special bits, then just let us know. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Right, we better move on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Armando's parts. Armando's yeah. interesting no, bits. No, again, I think that's terribly inappropriate. I know. I think, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yes, the honestly, entire crew are involved with this. So if, have if, we all got to share our parts, have we? If only our podcast <laughs> listeners could listen to our producer John, no. what he says in our ear, it's no. highly entertaining. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So. If everyone is ready. Go on, Nev. Well, this is on the bbc.co.uk website, and uh, we've uh, dubbed this Nev's Government Travel Announcement Rant. Uh, <laughs> <Right> <laughs> unfortunately, no. we're not doing a four-hour show tonight, otherwise no. we I could go for the full whack. But Brace it does say <laughs> that airlines are laying on extra capacity to bring people back to the UK from Portugal before the country is removed from the travel green list on Tuesday. Uh, British Airways is increasing its flights. I've even heard that they're laying on some 777s uh, to bring folks back from the Algarve, while TUI and EasyJet are upgrading the size of their planes. Uh, the move to the Amber List means UK tourists should not visit the country and returnees must isolate for 10 days. But travel firm TUI says 50% of passengers due to travel there in June are still planning to go. Any travellers scrambling for return flights before the new rules come in at four o'clock in the morning BST on the 8th of June are facing steep prices for tickets with a single BA ticket from Faro to London City going for more than £540. Well, they're not going to get a 777 into London City, are they? But uh, I, no. I get the point. Um, Health Secretary Matt, Matt Hancock said that this, the, the decision on Portugal, which includes the islands of Madeira and the Azores, had to be made because of a rise in cases of the Delta variant first detected in India. No new destinations were added to the green list in the latest review, but seven countries, which include Afghanistan, Bahrain, Costa Rica, Egypt, Sri Lanka, Sudan and Trinidad and Tobago are being added to the red list. Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have also confirmed that they will adopt the same changes and the green list will be reviewed again on the 28th of June. Uh, Ryanair's boss Michael O'Leary said Boris Johnson's government is again mismanaging the Covid recovery. This stop-go-stop approach to short-haul travel in Europe is inexplicable and unjustified when 75% of the UK population has now received a Covid vaccine. There is no medical or public health reason for moving Portugal from the green to the amber list when the Covid vaccine rates are so low, sorry, Covid case rates are so low, uh, as the UK at just under 50 per 100,000 population and Portugal's vaccine rollout programme has been, has exceeded 40% and is rapidly catching up with the UK levels. This is sadly further evidence that the government uh, just makes it up as they go along and this stop-go-stop approach to international travel is damaging for the UK and for millions of UK families. And for Uncle Nev 
as well mm. because I was supposed to be going to Portugal first week of Ju uh, July with Mrs Nev. Um, and funnily enough, before this announcement was made yesterday, I had a feeling in my water something was going to happen. But actually, even without this, I was going to cancel the trip anyway because all of this testing that goes on, the three tests that you have to have to go to a green list country, even if you've been vaccinated twice, uh, I think is pretty ridiculous. And I, and I think we've got to the stage now where it is now, I mean, if the travel industry wasn't damaged already, mm. this is going to be it. And we've already heard the difficulty that EasyJet were in last year and there'd been leaks in the press about uh, various meetings that had been held and how important it was for everyone to have a, a pretty good summer this year. This sort of stuff is just ridiculous. And I've been looking at some of the more, what I would call moderate commentators, the Simon Calders of this world from The Independent and Michelle from Turning Left for Less and Paul Charles from the PC Agency Online. Uh, so many people have been saying the same thing. And I think it's pretty ridiculous, especially as places like Malta aren't even on the green list yet. And I really don't <laughs> don't understand get me started on that. the angle on which people are coming from here. Mm. And of course, imagine, you know, the it's not just the, the, the travel industry itself, but all the hospitality, yeah. uh, the hotels in Portugal, the restaurants, the bars are the people that rely heavily on British tourism and Irish tourism as well mm. um, and others. Uh, so I think that they have given given themselves a massive problem now. So Mrs. Nev and I have just canned it completely and I just got some vouchers and so we're going to go to Edinburgh for four days instead um, in the uh, in the same week that we were going to go. So. Yeah, uh, Captain Cruz has got a comment in the chat room here. He's saying that uh, uh, ironic as the cases probably came into Portugal via UK in the first place, which is oh yes, and we were quite happy to question, have the, yeah. have the uh, the doors open to uh, flights from India for a couple of weeks mm. as well uh, before they they clamped down on that far too late. And of course, the other thing is that there are uh, instances in Portugal, but it actually tends to be in Lisbon. Now, most people that go to Portugal for their holidays will go to the Algarve, uh, and mm. the infection rates there are very low indeed. So, I think this is just going to be. Uh, an ongoing problem and I think I think it's pretty reasonable to say look if if we can't go somewhere j just tell us I think this red amber and green business is ridiculous yeah. it either needs to be red or green N nothing in between and uh, all the commentators that I've seen on it apart from the medical profession I have to say uh, have been fully supportive of what I've just been saying so um, let's see where we go next but uh, the damage that it's doing to, to the airlines and the yeah. hospitality industry generally is absolutely enormous I mean my, my, my frustrations is the uh, issue uh, the, the the frustration for me I suppose is the fact that like the the dangling of the carrot that we, we can start going on holiday I mean obviously the the harm to the industry will be evident as you say if we've already got stories floating around about possible big players being in trouble but uh, you know it, it's that sort of thinking oh right okay you know everybody's been looking forward to that's it, I, I'm sort of trying to describe sort of compare this to sort of like my own experiences really where you're sort of thinking that actually um, the, the the dangling of the carrot of some opening up going on from a purely from a mental health perspective that excitement about possibly an element of normality finally returning you know when we've all been made to, and we've all been very diligent and we've all been staying in our homes and all that kind of thing it's just like i almost wish they hadn't said anything 
Do you know what I mean? Yes, and of course they did say this time around that there wasn't going to be this flip-flopping, that they would give people at least one week or or, or maybe two weeks' notice about any changes, mm. and there was going to be a green watch list. Well, we've had none of that at all, yeah. so they've just uh, ridden the coach and horses through that uh, situation. And uh, so uh, people are that are already out there, for example, mm. are now got to decide how they're going to get back. And of course, as long as the flight Flights are running, uh, and the airlines haven't cancelled the service. They are not entitled to, to a refund. Yeah, um, so yeah, th there's a. Oh, I think in terms of losing goodwill, I think that that they've really done it. Frankly, for for us, it doesn't really matter. But I can just imagine people that where that holiday that, that holiday that break is really important. They've saved up for months and months to mm. do it, and we were encouraged to go. It was a green zone, and therefore perfectly acceptable to go as long as you have all of the tests as well. Um, so uh, uh, a bit of an own goal, I'm afraid. Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, like I was saying, don't get me started on Malta. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it must have, I know we've just been told to move on, but it must be making you nervous uh, about September all of a sudden. Mm, I mean, I, and yeah. I, I sat here only last week thinking, I'm sure it'll be fine in September. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But uh, anyway, okay. Yes. Uh, next story uh, is um... this. This next story is a really good one for you, Matt, because it means you're on the side. Because I'm currently enjoying a strawberry and lime cider. Yes, absolutely. The headline is: uh, Airlines ban alcohol during flights following a spike of unruly passengers. So three major airlines, American, Southwest, and United, have postponed plans to resume serving alcohol on flights in an effort to stop a surge of unruly and sometimes violent behaviour by passengers. Uh, airlines in general had suspended serving alcohol during the pandemic to limit passenger flight attendant interaction, but most had started or planned to start offering it again until the assault last month of a Southwest Airlines crew member that we covered last week in the show. After Southwest's decision, American Airlines joined it, opting not to begin serving alcohol in economy again until summer's end, uh, though you can still get alcohol in first and business class. United Airlines has also decided to limit its alcohol service. Uh, alcohol will only be available on domestic flights longer than 800 miles or on a hub-to-hub -hub flight. Uh, in, a, uh, in a memo, uh, Americans said it recognised that alcohol can contribute to a atypical behaviour from customers on board and we owe it to our crew not to potentially exacerbate what can already be a new, already be a new and stressful situation for our customers. Uh, it's not clear how long Southwest and United plan on keeping the limitations in place, though American says it will resume universal alcohol service on the 13th of September, the day the federal uh, the federal mask mandate for public transport is set to expire. The changes also came after the FAA said on Monday that it had postponed, uh, that it proposed fines of $9,000 for up to $15,000 for five passengers, um, oh sorry, 9,000 to 15,000 passengers for five passengers who had um, exhibited disruptive behaviour on flights. Well, we have covered quite a few stories, haven't we, the last few weeks. We must have done, what, two or three stories we've had in the last mm. few weeks of yeah. um, fights and teeth being yeah. broken and, mm. and stuff like that so mm. but the trouble is where do you where do they start drinking mm. in the airport before they go anywhere yes don't they mm. 
I don't know. I, I, sorry, it's a, it's a bit non-committal of me, but I'm just I'm just so fed up of it. It's like it's same old story. It's the um, it's the minority spoiling it for the majority again, isn't it? And, mm. and that's why I've sort of lost lost the will to live with it. But the good news is Nevin's seat one A, uh, completely unaffected <laughs> by the uh, by the uh, drama, um, because obviously people in seat one A in business class wouldn't dream of misbehaving. They no, paid far too much for the tickets for a start. <laughs> they're on the finest champers. <laughs> well, quite exactly, indeed. <clears throat> so, indeed, it is or. Is it? Uh, sorry, John's saying something in my ear. Something about is it just alcohol or is it just the? Um, oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Is it? Is it just conversation or is it because of the pandemic? You know it, why? Why people are kicking off? I mean, it's well, just like, the, the, this is not a new situation, though. Is no. it? I mean, uh, I don't know how many. It would be inter- interesting, wouldn't it, to find out how many incidents per year just from UK departure airports, as an example. I'm, I'm sure there's others as well. Uh, how many of these incidents there are, um, and it will be a pretty large number. And, and whether the cases have increased or not, I don't know, but it's. It just always seems to have been there over the last 15 to 20 years, doesn't it? Yeah, Dirk great. Guess makes a very good point before we move on. In the chat room says, who can afford seriously drinking in an airport? I do see his point, <laughs> because it's not the cheapest place to drink. Mm. That's for sure. I mean, Weatherspoons is certainly cheaper than in the air, let's put it that way. An ABG <laughs> show apparently has given up drinking for the next hour or so. Well, that'll be a first, right? I, I can say, also, we're, we're on air. I mean, I'd highly recommend drinking if you're going to get yeah. through this. <laughs> so, there we go. the next story, we're moving to Mexico for this one. Mexico? Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, sorry, I just realised, I'm, I'm sorry if that's offended anyone. <laughs> I don't know if they're on our download list. If they were, they're I'm not I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, the US uh, has downgraded uh, Mexico's air safety rating. Uh, the US Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, has assessed that Mexico's oversight of aviation safety by its civil aviation authority falls short of the top tier of international standards and has downgraded Mexico's safety rating from Category 1 to Category 2. While the new rating allows Mexican air carriers to continue existing service to the United States, it prohibits any new service and routes. Uh, US airlines will no longer be able to market and sell tickets with their names and des- uh, designated codes on Mexican-operated flights. Uh, a Category 2 rating means that the country's laws or regulations lack the necessary requirements to oversee the country's air carriers in accordance with the minimum international safety standards or the Civil Aviation Authority is lacking in such areas uh, as technical expertise, uh, trained personnel or record-keeping and inspection procedures or resolution of safety concerns. Uh, the FAA has previously downgraded Mexico's aviation safety rating in 2010. A few months later, its rating was reinstated after American officials said that corrections had been made. Uh, with Volaris, Aeromexico and other Mexican airlines unable to grow services into the U.S., this gives near-term opportunity for U.S. airlines to add more services to Mexico. Uh, this could give the U.S. carriers a stronger position when Mexico returns to Category 1, uh, when Volaris and others uh, can start adding services again. In the meantime, customers should expect some higher fares and fewer flight options but also some airlines may use this as an opportunity to permanently grow their share in what is currently the world's largest commercial air market between two nations. Oh dear. 
hmm. that all important record keeping. Remember, we had uh, we had Bob didn't we a few weeks back from uh, from the air accident investigation branch. He was talking about uh, record keeping and how it's important with safety and stuff. But um, yes, naughty <laughs> naughty Air Mexico. Uh, just just pop that comment back up on the screen uh, for me, John, please, because uh, yeah, is that Alan White saying, "Wow, a country being punished for poor aviation standards"? And okay, a country what? being punished for poor aviation standards and not COVID makes a change. Indeed. Okay. Uh, sorry, I, I just heard a correction in my ear, John. What was that? Oh, correction for it's Aaron. Oh, the Civil Aviation yes. Authority in Mexico. Very important. We must, we must get that correct. <laughs> yeah. It's mm. still, a, still a company, so yes, we definitely need to get that right <laughs> before we get told off. So moving on to the next story, and uh, Armando has very kindly recorded this one specially for us. So yes. uh, this one is all about uh, booms. From Florida today, Arion Supersonic, which has touted plans to build a $375 million jet building facility at Orlando's Melbourne Airport abruptly announced last week that it was shutting down. The AS2 supersonic business jet program meets all the market, technical, regulatory, and sustainability requirements, and the market for a new supersonic segment of general aviation has been validated with an $11.2 billion sales uh, backlog for the AS2, the company released in a statement. They continued on to say, however, in the current financial environment, it has proven hugely challenging to close on the scheduled and necessary large new capital requirements to finalize the transition of the AS2 into production. Uh, given these conditions, the Arion Corporation is now taking the appropriate steps in consideration of this ongoing financial environment, according to them. Uh, messages seeking comment were uh, left for the CEO and the president of Arion Supersonic with officials in the Economic Development Commission of Florida's Space Coast. Um, airport officials, however, and company officials declined to comment according to this uh, Florida Online. Thanks, Armando, great. Yes, um, however, it says here we've got uh, some notes to go with uh, that video as well. Um, Nev, you've got uh, yes. something. Yes, well, whilst it was bad news for Arion, Boom has just announced it has won a major contract. United Airlines is jumping into the potential market for supersonic travel with the first firm order for Boom Technologies Overture aircraft, wagering that business flyers will pay, pay top dollar for speedier trips across oceans. Uh, the airline will buy 15 of the supersonic jets, which are expected to carry passengers in 2029, uh, the company said in a statement on Thursday. At $200 million a plane, the deal is valued at $3 billion at list prices, and boom, doesn't offer discounts, says Blake Scholl, who's the Boom CEO. Uh, United also took purchase options for 35 more aircraft. Uh, development costs to make the Overture's first flight a reality are projected to be as high as $8 billion, he said. Wow. That's some telephone number money there, isn't there? Mm. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean... Pff. I mean, do you do you think the? I mean, the the boom thing was actually weirdly. I actually watched it on BBC Breakfast this morning because they were talking about it, which I was quite shocked about. I'm just surprprised they can put a 2029 um, date on this for the when this is going to. I think mm, that's happen. Bold, I think that's really, yeah, really bold. And actually, one of the BBC commentators was was saying about the. Um, 
<laughs> Arion says, nah, not going to happen. And Boom thinks everything is fine. All that united and Boom. Uh, all that united mm, and Boom. Just, well, all I would years. say is I know we're in a different era, but if you think about Concord, I know it was mm. carrying 100 passengers, but that was developed and designed in the late 50s and 1960s, mm. Mm. and the first commercial flight was in 1976. Yes, that's quite a long time. Uh, now, ago. I know that we've moved on with CAD and design and aero and engines and goodness knows what else. But, uh, yeah, I think, well, if they do it, then Absolutely. that's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. And also, uh, perhaps I'm speaking a little bit out of, of turn here, perhaps. I don't know if, uh, you know, the, 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 the elements of safety. Um... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to do it quietly. <laughs> that did wow. that clearly failed. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. But, Never mind. <laughs> and, and again, as well. And again, that that uh, that date of twenty twenty nine is all dependent on that one big thing that that this all matters is money cost. Yes. Money. Yeah, that is true. It's yeah. all to do with money, isn't it? It's indeed. You know. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's a lovely idea, but I. I uh, as I say, in, in this day and age, sorry, that's where I was going with this. Is that in this day and age, you know, if you go back to the time that Nev's talking about when Concorde was mm. was sort of out there, I, I would argue perhaps that the safety protocols that we that are very much in place now perhaps weren't quite as stringent as they are now. I mean, mm. maybe I'm speaking out of turn um, there, but uh, you know, I, you know that whoever's developing this is going to be a lot more hoops and oh, yeah. to, to you know boxes to tick, if you like, to to make this. This happened. I mean, I really hope they do it because I, I, I mean, we, we've said countless times on this show and never really understood why, you know, why a replacement for Concorde wasn't well in the works before mm. it came to an end. And um, you know, it's um, it's well, still remember the US. They they had uh, their own supersonic aircraft in in not in production, but it was they'd built a mock up of it and it mm. was it was moving forward and they stopped the program dead in its tracks due to money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, money talks, doesn't it? Mm. I suppose. But then you know, United. You know, as long as United have got the cash to back it up, um, mm. you know. I mean, I, I know that I know they're only one player because it'll be several people who need to invest in this, obviously, to to make it work. But I mean, to get the support of a, of a you know a big airline in the states, I mean, that's got to be a, a positive sign. I would say, wouldn't you say, Nev, that the people who are going to use this 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 particular aircraft and these routes are going to be people who possibly use the city. London City to the US. Yes, kind of. but because of this ruddy pandemic, <laughs> um, I think that You've set him off we've again now. <laughs> now got to see what the profile is going to look like mm. for people to do that kind of flying. Mm. Will the CEOs and bosses of the very large corporations be allowed to do this kind of travel? Um, now I'm Good sure there, there will be some of it, but um, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's open to debate. I obviously want to see it, and I can't wait to see it. Mm. But again, is it going to be commercially viable? That, that's the question. Mm. Let's hope so. That's that's. I suppose that's all we can say on that. Let's hope so. So okay. Nev, moving on. Have you locked the doors on your car? Uh, I have actually, yes, Good. and the uh, the door mirrors come in as well when you do that, which is quite a nice uh, feature on the Focus ST. However, um, if you're on a 757-200, it's a slightly different story. Uh, story here on the flightglobal.com and AV Herald websites. Uh, German investigations uh, investigators are exploring two scenarios after a DHL uh, Boeing 757-200 converted freighter's main cargo door opened in flight. 
night, some three minutes after takeoff from Leipzig. The three occupants, captain, first officer and a non-company jump seat pilot, were on board the UK-registered aircraft at Gulf Delta Hotel Kilo Zulu, which was bound for Frankfurt on the 13th of February this year. After the door opened at about 5,100 feet, the crew stopped the climb and opted to return to the departure runway, but to land in the opposite direction on 08 right. Uh, the, cap- the captain took manual control and the aircraft landed safely 14 minutes after the incident. Uh, the German investigation authority BFU says that the cargo door design consists of two primary components, a hydraulic mechanical movement and locking system plus an electrical control circuit. Both are being examined as part of two scenarios under consideration by the inquiry. But the BFU says that the electrical circuit inspection has not revealed any irregularities. Whilst the inquiry has not reached any conclusions about the cause of the event, it has made a number of observations about the door's hydraulic system, including a leak in a hydraulic line and the latching mechanism. Examination of the locking system situated on the lower edge of the door revealed that lock pins did not reach their final position through drill holes in the latches. It has not clarified whether any anomalies found in the door's mechanical systems are uh, the result of damage incurred as the door opened in the slipstream whilst the 757 was travelling at 240 knots. Investigators have been able to have been unable to rule out the possible presence of air in the system before the hydraulic leak. Well, cargo doors opening in flight brings back memories of the DC-10 many years ago. I'm sure we can all remember that one, Carlos. And uh, mm. yeah, it uh, doesn't bear thinking about, does it? But um, let, let's see what the uh, conclusion is from the investigation. Indeed. As, I mean, that, that must have... Uh, sorry. Uh, that must have been quite a concerning uh, incident for the people on, on that flight, though, because, I mean, there must be massive... Like when it's sort of the noise. seal, yeah, the, the noise and the <laughs> and the well. Pre- I mean, I know cargo is not necessarily fully pressurized, obviously. When no, it's know, pressurized, the the the, yeah. the, the aircraft itself is pressurized, but there's no door. There's no the flight deck door is not normally closed on yeah. the cargo flight, so they would have had a. I would imagine they'd have had quite a bit of noise. Yeah, absolutely. They probably knew. Um, some, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. As you say, um, more details to follow, no mm. doubt. Uh, Indeed, Captain, uh, Captain Cruz. Cruz in the chat room is saying DHL's new quick discharge feature for on-time delivery. Thank you, Captain Tony, Cruz. Tony S makes a very <laughs> valid point, which I think we all we all said at the time when we all saw this story break, and that they're lucky that the door didn't get ripped off because it's quite mm. a big door it to be sticking door. up yeah, in the air yeah. um, on that Indeed. aircraft. I mean, so. also, I don't suppose it popped up. To be fair, if at the sort of speed that they were. But I mean, you—I I don't know. Perhaps it would. I mean, if it just had had it actually sort of like flipped up, I suppose, because of the wind. I mean, I suppose mm. if the wind had got underneath it, anyway, it doesn't bear thinking about. Does uh, it, Captain Cruise, before we move on, says uh, that, that was an ex-passenger seven five seven built in nineteen ninety two and was converted in two thousand eleven. Gosh, okay. Mm. I think yeah, we have fine. to put this into the category of being suboptimal, don't we? Uh, I yes. think so. Yes, absolutely. Not working to within acceptable tolerances. So, Matt, <laughs> this next story is. <laughs> it's quite. This is quite interesting. Yes, indeed. It's certainly a company that we we've come across a few times, and we uh, you guys were very uh, lucky to have a wander around the A380. I have to confess that myself and uh, John didn't get there in time. 
to be able to have a wander around the A380 because I might have overslept. But anyway, we'll cross over that. Uh, we'll gloss over that and move on to Highfly A330 to perform flight tests with radical three-blade wingtip concept. Uh, Portuguese wet lease operator Highfly is to use an Airbus A330 with a test as a test bed for a wingtip modification, which is intended to reduce fuel burn on the type. The radical wingtip design, branded um, is it Trinitaire? I think is the way that it's. Uh, pronounced um, features three blades set at different angles and has been developed by German-based firm the Aircraft Performance Company. Highfly says uh, one of its A330s will participate in the maiden flight of the technology, which is intended as a plug-and-fly retrofit that could be fitted in less than a day. Uh, the Trinitaire uh, wingtip is able to reduce fuel consumption by one to two percent claims the uh developer the apc i mean it doesn't sound very exciting on paper but actually i suppose one to two percent you know mounts up very quickly over time. yeah absolutely uh, it says the idea for the design was born from a sketch on a napkin which is where let's be honest most ideas good <laughs> ideas are formed uh but addresses an optimal uh, circulation distribution at the outer wing by influencing or expanding the vortex it generates. Operate that made absolutely no sense to me. Any of that uh, operating a twin jet freighter from Frankfurt to Hong Kong with a payload of 90 tons would save at least 1.2 tons in fuel, says the APG managing director. Um, that's fascinating. I do. I do find it interesting. After all these years of, of flying, yeah. that even today, it's still possible to improve aerodynamics and therefore fuel efficiency. You, you would have thought, wouldn't you? But even with the the, the newest technologies uh, that are available, mm. um, that uh, we would have got there by now. But there's there's always trying to put the push a little bit more. And if you think about one to two percent over the life of the aircraft, for example. Uh, in fuel burn, that's a, that's a big number actually. Now for, the, for those of us who, those, I can say, for those of us watching on YouTube uh, here at the moment, uh, the links to this story will be in the show notes. So do please take a look at the pictures. What, what's the chat room's thoughts this, on what does this? Yeah, what does this, this look I mean, like? it's very bizarre, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't want to be near it. Uh, you could have somebody's eye out. I was say it's just a slice an arm or two off. It's trying to describe it really. It's basically got sort of like a, it looks like a sword that's in the middle with two prongs on either side so you've got like the the the, the you know the main part i, I suppose in the in it's the, like something the middle you put of the wing a sweet corn on the end to put on the barbecue yes that's um, true <laughs> that is i mean true. i don't know if I, I i mean sure uh <laughs> apg show says um it looks like fingers yeah, no, I, I can give you that. Also, in that picture, it looks like it's been attached with ah, gaffer tape. There we go. Dirk <laughs> S looks like the wingtip of a bird. Oh, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, yeah, I, could, I yeah. could see that actually. Um, but then I suppose that's where we get a lot of the. You yeah, know, Micah the, says looks like the wingtip of an eagle. So mm. yeah, it's yeah. And yeah. Nev, somebody's had your gaffer tape there. <laughs> Freddy Krueger. John Jester saying in the in the chat room it looks like Freddy Krueger's plane. Oh, Honestly, I think no. there's an element of truth in that. It's, uh, it's yeah. We uh, had uh, a conversation with Captain Al actually on one of the plane crews, which uh, Matt done with Captain Al, did, did and we? Uh, this was number twenty eight, oh. where Matt and Al were discussing winglets and sharklets and fences and stuff. I have literally no memory of that, so I'll mm. make sure I go and rewatch that. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Indeed, okay. On so, yeah, Monday. moving on to the next story, and uh, this one uh, is all about an NTSB 
probe into a fatal citation accident. And uh, Armando brings us this. From AIN Online, two NTSB investigators are in Smyrna, Tennessee, investigating a fatal crash of a Cessna Citation 1 that killed all seven individuals on board. The twin jet crashed into the Percy Priest Lake on Saturday morning shortly after takeoff from runway 32 at Smyrna Air- Airport. After taking off at 10.50 a.m. for a planned uh, Part 91 personal flight uh, to Palm Beach, Florida, the aircraft started a right turn and, after reaching 2,900 feet, descended to about 1,800 feet before climbing again to 3,000 Then the aircraft began a rapid descent and crashed into the lake. So the weather at the time of the accident included a 1,300-foot overcast layer of clouds. Uh, the remains of the occupants have been uh, retrieved, and both of the jet's engines and a portion of the fuselage have been recovered. Now, according to FAA records, the 1982 model citation has been registered to JL and GL Productions of Brentwood, Tennessee, since last uh, year. Now, those included uh, those passengers included William Joseph Lara and his wife Gwen Lara, founder of a, uh, a fellowship church. An FAA spokesperson confirmed that no one on board was currently qualified to fly that citation. The agency's airman uh, database shows that Joe Lara, uh, he had a multi-engine commercial pilot certificate, an instrument rating, and a Citation 500 type rating, but no current record of an FAA medical. Another occupant in the airplane held a private pilot certificate with multi-engine instrument, uh, multi-engine and instrument ratings, uh, but also was not qualified in that airplane. So this is the second fatal crash this year of a U.S. registered business jet. The non-U.S. registered business jets have also been involved in uh, two fatal accidents this year overseas. And this is just a, another uh, situation in which the aeronautical decision-making uh, process has failed the, both the owners and the operators of an aircraft. This unfortunately happens very often where the FAA comes in and does an investigation and realizes that there was uh, some simple steps that could have been taken to mitigate um, a mishap. And in this case, just simple uh, legal requirements to fly this airplane weren't adhered to. So I'm sure we'll hear more about this uh, in the business aviation world in the upcoming future. I mean, that that, that really isn't a great story, is it? I mean, that's... No, it was... <sighs> They they had a there is a video online that you can actually see the the, the track playing out on like a, a kind of flight radar twenty four thing style thing yeah. style thing and it's um, yeah something went really not Wrong. very good with this um, after it took off from the airport mm. and um, you know it's it hit the water at quite some speed as well oh gosh but uh, yeah it's always sad when these things happen but um hopefully the ntsb will um be on this and um mm. obviously find out and work out what went wrong but it Aunt, was uh, answers forthcoming i think then. 1982 though this was this was built the aircraft so it's uh so it's like nearly it's nearly 40 years old isn't it? yeah nearly yeah. 40 years old but um mm. nothing wrong with that age is never a thing with an aircraft <laughs> we all know that you only got to ask the b-52s that what, what, as uh, in the people who did Love Shack? No, not, no, no, right, not Love okay, Shack, sorry. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay. So, Just moving on to the uh, to the next uh, story. And uh, for all you simmers who love your flight sims, like I do, as you all know, love me X-Plane, uh, Lamina Research, uh, who uh, designed and made X-Plane 11, which I use, uh, are previewing next generation of X-Plane technology. So this is um, hopefully something that will be coming out over the next few years. 
fingers crossed. Uh, so whilst there has been lots of focus on Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 as of late, uh, the team at Laminar Research has been quietly working away on the future of the X-Plane platform. On YouTube, the team shared a short teaser clip of some of the new technology coming uh, to the world of X-Plane, uh, dubbed Preview 1. The new preview of the next generation X-Plane technology revealed what they have been working on to replace the existing lighting uh, in X-Plane 11. This is an entirely new uh, photometric lighting model which clearly enhances the current lighting engine. Uh, Laminar Research has not shared any indication or uh, if this technology will be part of X-Plane 11 or will be for an entirely new platform which presumably would be called X-Plane 12. However, Laminar Research did say that more previews and news will be coming soon. Now. Uh, I'm a member of the Explain Forum uh, on Facebook, and there's been a lot of discussion on this video this week. One of them has, uh, a lot of the comments have been said um, from people who have been moved on to Microsoft is why are Lamina Research playing with the um, the shading and the, and the and the lights. But one of the comments that a lot of people who do play Explain will say is that on some aspects of the game on Explain, the lighting and the the kind of saturation can sometimes be a bit. Bland, right. yeah, a bit wishy-washy, yeah. So they're obviously fixing that particular thing. Um, but also one of the big things as well which has been said is that um, the, the apparently it's been found out that Lamina Research have, have been working on uh, a new platform, a new X-Plane for quite some time now. When it's released, they say it's going to be right. blinking good. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so because you, you you did get the Microsoft one in the end, didn't you? Or or are you still on Xbox? No, I played a demo. Right. Yeah, I had the demo and I, I did try it. And it's don't get me wrong, Microsoft Flight Sim twenty twenty is the, the the graphics and the the actual um, the visuals are fantastic. You cannot mm. knock it for that at all. But as a lot of people have said, if you read the reviews, if you join the forum sites, a lot of people say, including pilots, that they prefer X Plane eleven as a more uh, Realistic sim okay. to fly, uh, and I, I totally. I so totally so maybe th maybe this this upgrade then could perhaps sort of bridge that gap between. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, what? you can buy add-ons for X Plane Eleven that improve the scenery and stuff like mm. that, which is, and you can buy shaders which improve the um, the lighting and stuff like that. But it'll be so nice to see if they re uh, release a new X Plane. Hopefully, okay, not so long in the future. Fair enough. Mm. So, yes, yeah, exciting stuff now. Yep. Yes. So and I didn't think that, I didn't think we would be saying these words this year, and we no. may we may still not after what was announced this week. I don't know. No, so uh, we better not set Nev off again. Exciting <laughs> uh, part, uh, kind of a, well, not a new part of the show, but it's an exciting add-on to the commercial news because it's air show news, and we do have some air show news, which is quite exciting. Um, so we're going to kick off with the first bit of air show news, which is actually not far from where me and Matt are here in East Anglia and uh, this one is uh, comes to us from the EDP24 and the roar of the typhoon to be heard in Norfolk um, this is uh, been revealed that the Royal Air Force uh, uh, 29 Squadron Typhoon FGR4 will be displaying at the Old Buckingham Air Show. Uh, it's going to be flown by Flight Lieutenant James Sainty. Uh, besides the Typhoon lineup, uh, includes also the Tiger 9, the Fireflies, the Cassa Racer, uh, Spitfire, Sally B Flying Fortress as well will be making a return there this year as well, and Paul Bonham with uh, Steve Jones as the Matadors. 
Uh, Old Buckingham Air Show is going to take place from July the 30th to August the 1st. Uh, camping will be on site as well if you need that. And admission tickets are available now uh, for camping and admission to the show. And you can find them over at uh, www.oldbuckinghamairshow.com. We'll put the links to these in the show notes if you want to find out more about that. But yeah, it's the first time I know him in my time on the planet Earth that we've had a fast jet at uh, Old Buckingham Air Show. Indeed, indeed. Because it's, it's always been sort of like the little the props, bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. yeah, it's good news. Very exciting. Fingers crossed that'll go ahead. Uh, we are definitely keeping our fingers crossed yeah. here in the uh, in the team. So, Nev, uh, we're moving on to another awesome display. Yes, and just to tie in perfectly with the last story, uh, there's a new uh, Union Jack colour scheme for the RAF Typhoon display. Uh, 29 Squadron at RAF Coningsby have just unveiled a Typhoon aircraft with a spectacular Union Jack paint scheme. The, 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 the design covers large areas of the aircraft, fuselage and wings, and will be a highlight at air shows for the next two summers. And that comes to us from uh, airshows.org.uk. Yeah, it's good. I'm hopefully uh, we'll be able to that the paint display of the paint uh, job on that is fantastic. It'd be nice to see that. Uh, it would be nice to see that up close actually, rather than in the sky as mm. well. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, that will be uh, good. Uh, yeah. so that will be at Old Buck. So perhaps yeah. we could perhaps make a a, a a beeline over to Old Buck possibly on the Sunday. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, what so. we got next? Uh, the uh, this one comes to us from FlyingMag.com. And for those fans of Oshkosh, uh, the Goodyear Blimp uh, is returning to Oshkosh. The Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company have announced that uh, one of its iconic blimps, the Wingfoot 3, will visit EAA Air Venture 2021 in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, to mark the 50th anniversary uh, of the first visit by one of the company's earlier airships. Uh, Goodyear Aviation will also exhibit in booth number 489 at the show, which runs from the 26th to the uh, to August the 1st, so July the 26th to August the 1st. So hopefully uh, some of our listeners might be able to go to Oshkosh. I know, uh, I think Armando's heading over to Oshkosh, I think, Indeed. this year, isn't he? So. Well, and also don't forget, obviously, that we had the, the director, the communications we director, did. didn't we, on chatting to Armando uh, last week and the week before, so that's 368 and 369. Mm. So Nev, what's this next one? Yes, uh, it says a, a swan song display for Cranfield's Jetstream 31 flying classroom. It's on the uh, airshows.org.uk website again. And it says that uh, Cranfield University's Jetstream 31 aircraft, which is part of the National Flying Burger Centre, uh, will make its final public display at the Shuttleworth Trust uh, Flying Festival of Britain drive-in air show on Sunday the 6th of June that's this Sunday uh, the jet stream will be replaced by a new Saab 340B which arrives in uh, Cranfield in a few weeks time the retirement of the jet stream will not only uh, in sorry will not only in the aircraft's career with uh, Cranfield but uh, the university's link with the jet stream family which goes back to 1969 and 1971 where Cranfield acquired three of the prototype aircraft. The 19-seat Jetstream is a flying laboratory used for research and the new uh, Saab uh, 340B aircraft will not only be able to feed data from the sensors into the cabin but also beaming down to the ground to provide a global connected classroom uh, that can't be live streamed. So that's uh, pretty good and of course we've seen this in various air shows uh, including at Farnborough as well. 
So uh, the next one is uh, from the london.ctvnews.ca and uh, Snowbirds coming back to London skies for annual air show. So Air Show London announced Thursday that the famous Canadian forces uh, Snowbirds will grace the skies during this year's air show. The uh, show, known as Sky Drive 2021, will follow last year's drive-in format that made it uh, a complete success and unique experience uh, nationwide. Uh, the show, which runs August 27th to the 29th, will be headlined uh, by the United States Navy Blue Angels. Uh, the new Friday night show will also feature a special flyby by two United States Air Force B-1B Lancers as well. And uh, more information can be found over at uh, allawsairshowlondon.com for info. As always, the bits will be in the show notes. Uh, and also, uh, apparently we have a correction um, from uh, Mike who's saying, uh, Carlos, you might as well take that one. Yeah, Mike in the chat room actually says that uh, interesting that the current Goodyear blimps are actually Zeppelins. Uh, dirigibles, not blimps at all. Okay. So there we go. Right. Well, we, we need to be accurate on these things, don't we? Uh, and and the and the the difference is apparently that one has an internal rigid structure, as where uh, the other one doesn't. So as where a blimp doesn't. So there you go. Very so good. Nev near miss. Oh yes, this is a, a close call. That's for sure. On the BBC.com website and airproxboard.org.uk. Uh, it says a pilot who was involved in a near miss at an air show may have been distracted by a passenger trying to take control of the aircraft, an investigation has found. Uh, the plane almost hit another at the Shuttleworth drive-in event at Old Warden, Bedfordshire on the 27th of September. The UK Airprox board said the passenger kept resting their hands and feet on the controls. It classed the risk of collision as B, which is the second highest category. According to uh, the report, one of the aircraft, a PA-8, was towing a glider into position for the air display uh, 10 to 20 seconds before the incident. The glider pilot ignited the onboard display smoke system, which is two smoke canisters on each wingtip, which produces a thick orange trail. Uh, the other plane, which is a PA-46, then came uh, 50 feet below and 200 feet horizontally from the glider and its towing plane. The PA-18 pilot, who had been looking at the glider, said that they saw the other plane fly in front of the uh, front front of them and did not have time to carry out any avoiding action. The PA-46 pilot said that they saw the other aircraft pass behind, but no avoiding action was required because they did not consider there was a risk of collision. However, they also reported that they had experienced some difficulty with the passenger in the right-hand seat. They were constantly asking, asking to try to fly the aircraft, despite numerous requests for them not to do so, and they kept resting their hands and feet on the controls, the report said. Uh, the report also said that a NOTAM was in place detailing a restricted flying area for the air show, uh, but the PA-46 pilot had infringed this and had not communicated with any suitable air traffic unit. As such, the flight information service officer was not aware the aircraft was there until a warning was issued by a third aircraft. The report also said that the PA-18 had its transponder turned off, which means it could not be identified and was also less manoeuvrable as it was towing the glider. And uh, there's a uh, there'll be a link to report the report in the show notes. That sounds very nasty indeed to me. I've got to say, we were yeah. there, Matt. Yeah, and we yeah. didn't even know it happened. No, we, we, was it was it that one? 
Was it the one that we? Yeah, the one, the, the, one. the one you guys the one, went to. The one we went yeah. to, and we uh, had the table. No. And, yeah, it was that one we were there. Me and you were sitting there watching that actual display. I had absolutely no yeah. idea. Um, Captain Cruiser said, always wonder why it's called a near miss when it's actually a near hit. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly very accurate. Is, is that was that seriously the the one yeah. that we went? Do you remember? To? Do you remember the that was late, later part of the display, and they had that uh, really long wingspan aircraft with no motor, and it was quiet, silent, oh, you know, going know, round yeah, and yeah, round yeah. like that with the smoke canisters yeah, inside. Yeah, the one with the picture. No, I, yeah. I, I, know, I know the aircraft. Yeah. I just genuinely didn't realise it. No, yeah. I, I mean, that, that, well, they, they kept that quiet. I know. They've done, they done very <laughs> well. Because we, oh, we were sat there because we, 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 were, we were even listening to the... Yeah, I, I know. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think we'd be first on the case, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, we sorry about that. I feel like we've let our audience down now. Um, <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so the last one is uh, last one is uh, is an important one for me and Nev. Hopefully this year. Um, so this one is actually the Malta Air Show, which hopefully me and Nev will be Not attending. Not you're excited this year. about it and been so, banging on about, about it. But anyone who is uh, who, anyone who's got <laughs> a, a few quid and, and a few days off work uh, to come out to Malta on the twenty fifth. And 26th of September, make sure you let us know because hopefully me and Nev will be uh, will be jetting out there as well. Um, but there's uh, we're going to go. Me and Nev are going to run through. So the uh, flying displays um, so far have been announced. So they've got the PC-17, the Swiss Air Force, the FA-18C Hornet from the Swiss Air Force as well, uh, the Cap. 21 DS Silver Chicken. Look it up. It is a very funky aircraft. Uh, the F-16 uh, AM fight, uh, Fighting Falcon from the Belgium Air Force as well is going to be flying. So Nev, what's on uh, static display there? This yes, year? it's the uh, C-130H, uh, which is the Hercules from the Belgian Air Force. Um, uh, the OH-58D uh, Kiowa uh, Warrior from the Tunisian Air Force, the L-59 Albatross also from the Tunisian Air Force, and the CL-601 Challenger from the Royal Danish Air Force. And uh, I've noticed that they've been adding uh, aircraft to the website as the weeks have gone by. Nothing from the RAF yet from the UK. I'm mm. hoping we'll see something there from them, but... Uh, Let's see. Yeah, yeah, nothing. So if anyone from the Royal Air Force is listening to the show, um, could you please hurry up and uh, submit your applications for taking something to the air show this year? That would be lovely. I think, I think to be you know, in, in, in their defence, if I, if I feel like <laughs> I, I... I don't think the decision is necessarily being made by them, yeah. if I'm honest. We'll, we'll have to reach out to someone in, in a no. I'm sure Armando you know, knows someone. I mean, I'm someone. sure they would love to go, um, yeah. but they're probably having to wait for... Um, you know, some very probably inaccurate information that will change about 15 seconds before they're due to, <laughs> to fly where they were going and then oh, they're not allowed. So, you know, but uh, anyway, there we go. We'll move on. Sorry. <laughs> so next up, uh, we've got a special uh, segment for you and a pre-recorded segment for you. And uh, so this is all to do with uh, the hurricane season, but obviously with the hurricane season kicking off in the U.S., uh, we are going to take a look back at uh, an interview that uh, Armando did uh, with the NOAA, or the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. So this first aired back on episode 268, and it's a fantastic bit of video, so watch this. Uh, Nate Kahn, who is a commander in the NOAA Corps, and he is a pilot. I'm a pilot. I'm the aircraft commander. Aircraft commander for this beautiful WP3D, which you're going to have to Google. 
right, Nate, first of all, thanks for doing this. Sure. All right, so the, tell us a little bit about the, the NOAA Corps and the airplane and okay. why it is that you guys are around. So I'm going to let this guy take off yeah. real quick. By the way, we are on the grounds of Charlotte Douglas International Airport. So okay. there we go. So the, uh, the NOAA Corps is one of the seven uniformed services of the United States. It's the smallest of the uniformed services. So most people tend to think that we are officers that are on loan from the Navy or from other services to come do this mission. That's actually not true. We, I, when I left the Navy, I departed the Navy, and I am now active duty with the NOAA Corps. It's about 300 officers, and they operate NOAA's fleet of ships and aircraft. Okay. So my story is I started at the Naval Academy, graduated in 2003, went to flight school, chose P3s. I flew P3s with the Navy for 12 years, and then this opportunity came up, and I elected to transfer to the NOAA Corps um, and continue my service career and continue flying P3s, but now people don't shoot at me. Yeah. I, I fly into hurricanes, but nobody shoots at me, so that's good. So that's very unique, as we're always talking about different flying jobs. I, I feel like every month we find a, we discover a new job in aviation, and this okay. is pretty cool. How'd, so, so my path is, is not necessarily unique for us, um, but there is a different path within the NOAA Corps. Um, and we actually take college graduates as ensigns they commission and come right into the NOAA Corps oh, wow. as the start of their career. So when that happens, if they come to aviation with us, we send them through a flight school via FSI. FSI is our, our um, okay. preferred vendor. So we send them to flight safety they, um, down in Vero Beach, Florida. They learn their basic uh, commercial license. Ins- uh, I think it's a commercial instrument multi-engine is what they come to us okay. with. Um, and that if, if they have background, great, it's less time. If they don't, they'll go zero to hero um, on that syllabus. And then they come fly our aircraft. And naturally, we don't send somebody who has 250 hours total into this airplane into right. a storm. Um, they start off flying our fleet of twin otters. We have four twin otters okay. that uh, NOAA's other agencies use for similar style of mission. It's an airborne data collection mm-hmm. platform. Um, they use them for marine mammal surveys. They use them for some air chemistry missions, coastal mapping, stuff like that, uh-huh. um, where they fly a little slower, um, and they get to spend a lot of time building multi-engine turbine time, and then they can fleet up into some of our other aircraft. We also fly uh, a King Air. We have a high-altitude jet that does other surveillance work. So it's not something that you have to go be a, a 15-year veteran right. to get a job over here. Like We take guys right out of school. We train them all the way up. Um, so there is an opportunity for folks that are looking for employment with the NOAA Corps to come that route. That's amazing. This is—I've been doing this for a long time, and I've never. Yeah, we're we're real small. Like yeah. it's, it's it's easy to miss us if you're not paying attention. Yeah. But once you see us and know what you're looking at, you'll you'll find as you turn around at every airport, you'll see our colors and go, oh, <laughs> I, I thought that King Air was flying for wheels up because yeah. we're very similar paint schemes. But in truth, it's one of our aircraft yeah. that is out doing work. Well, so you start talking a little bit about the different missions. So. so uh, specifically about the P-3 and its mission. Okay. So the, the mission that our P-3 is most well-known for is hurricane hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, this aircraft, we take it right into the heart of the storm. Um, when you hear about guys flying into eyewalls to get data um, and do crazy stuff like that, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so we do that. Basically, we, uh, it's kind of a two-fold mission. Um, we fly into hurricanes so that we can gather data on that specific storm to input to the forecasting models for that storm. Uh, so that we can make the forecast better and more accurate based on real-time data. Now, we also carry sensors and conduct experiments for the hurricane research. Uh, So those experiments are designed to improve the models as a whole. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we go out, that data is used. For example, if you look at the data for the forecast of tracks over the last 10 years, there's a significant improvement in the three- to five-day forecasting windows. It used to be that we were pretty good out to about three days, which isn't really enough time to evacuate Miami. 
five days is enough time to evacuate Miami effectively, right? So we're working on getting out to seven days being a very accurate forecast. Um, so that's kind of a, that's a long-term yeah. goal for the hurricane research guys. Um, but we're not really good at intensity forecasting. We've, yeah. We're kind of all over the board as far as that goes as an agency. So we're trying to get better. And we carry a lot of equipment that is designed to help improve that. And we started to see some improvements based on the tail Doppler radar that we carry. Okay. So our job is twofold to kind of sum up. is One is to improve current forecasts based on the active models and also to improve those models for future years and storms. And is that is that pretty near real-time data? Are you guys beaming data back to a center? Yeah, so some of the data comes off. We have we have broad, satellite broadband on the airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our data comes off real-time to the forecasters. Some of our data is downloaded post-flight and inputted. Mm-hmm. Our mission times are based on getting our data into a model run right before it happens. So the models aren't continuously updated, okay. basically. The guys at the forecast center input data, they look at stuff, and then they push a button. I think it's a button. I'm not real sure. <laughs> but they, they say go, and then the model runs and generates a new solution. And our, what we do is we time our missions so that the data we collect is inputted into the system before that next model run happens. That's the idea. So, when so we're, we're not a real-time forecasting platform. That's not what we do. Okay. And that's a great that's a great segue. So your mission, what does your mission planning look like? Is there, um, are, so is the aircraft commander sort of in charge? Who do you work with to figure so, out where you're going to fly? So typically we get sent, um, well, the one I look at is a graphical depiction, and it's usually based on a map. And the Hurricane Research Center, or sorry, the Research Division or the National Hurricane Center will uh, we'll send that to us ahead of time. And then we'll take that map of what they, basically it's usually a rough picture of where the storm is, what the geography looks like around it, you know, islands and things like that. And they'll say, we want you to fly this pattern in and around the storm, uh, depending on what the mission goals are for the science for that day. And we'll look at it and go, okay, we can do that most of the time because they know we've been working together for so many years that they they know what we can do. Mm -hmm. So they'll send us that and then we'll sit down in a brief and talk about it. And we'll get an updated center position because all of our all of our work is based on the center, the actual center of the storm. So we'll get an updated center position from the aircraft that was on station before, or we'll swag it if we're the first ones going in. We'll look at it on the map, um, on the satellite picture, and say, "Yeah, that's what we're going to do." And then it's a we pick a track in alignment with what the, the science, the researchers want for quadrants of the storm, and we'll go inbound on that track. And sometimes we're spot on, and sometimes we're not. But as long as we get into the eye of the storm, then we will find the new center point, um, which is based on a zero wind component. So when you go into the storm, the eye wall is where the heaviest winds are. But even inside, there are still small um, strength winds uh, swirling around inside. We fly to the exact zero wind point. And it amazes me how the meteorologist can tell me what heading to fly or track to fly to get to a zero wind point. And I'm looking at the wind gauge that we have up in the front and it hits zero almost every time. That's I mean, I would think that, you know, two, three knots is pretty impressive right. as far as that goes. Our guys hit zero almost every pass. From a from a piloting standpoint, what is that like flying through the, the eye of a hurricane into the, so, or through the wall into the eye? Uh, flying into the, the, the eye wall, eye walls are bad. Um, <laughs> bottom line for aviators, literally everything we do on this mission is completely counter <laughs> to what every pilot yeah, is right? ever trained to do. Like we fly away like pilots are supposed to fly away from this mess and we fly into it um what what we don't we don't do that arbitrarily or randomly either so like all this mess we've got going on around charlotte today 
I would not want to get up in the air and just fly into storms for, for grins, right? right. Um, so we're very deliberate about where we pick to go in, and we do that on purpose, and there's a lot of background we don't have to get into mm-hmm. about that. But um, as far as what it's like to fly, if you think about it, um, your fundamentals of IFR is you maintain altitude, airspeed, and heading, right? All the time. Well, how do you, how do, you do that in a hurricane? <laughs> The answer is you don't. Yeah. Um, so there are there are really two priorities that we do our very best to maintain uh, because they are the ones that are most important to us. And the first is attitude. We keep the wings level mm-hmm. or as level as possible, and we limit ourselves to if we have to turn to change a track or adjust where the aircraft is going, we limit ourselves to five degrees angle of bank or less when we're in severe weather. So if you think about it, if you've ever tried to, d- to turn for 90 degrees yeah. at five degrees angle of bank, that's a long time. So it's really important for us to make sure that our track alignment is good when we start. I can't even imagine that. And and on top of that, you're, you're gonna have 130, 140 mile per hour winds pushing you one yep. way or another. So, right? so typically, and that's why we fly a track, not a heading. Yeah. Um, so we're flying the track and you're looking at a anywhere from a 30 to 45 degree crab angle is pretty common. That's amazing. So um, we maintain track, that's, that's very, yeah. attitude and track are the two things that we do our very best to stick when we're coming in. Um, but we don't chase altitude. Yeah. Like we normally do a, a penetration at 10,000 or 8,000 feet, sometimes 7,000 radar, depending mm-hmm. on what, what okay, we're doing. So very normally it's barrow. Like normally we stay with a pressure altitude because we can set it, set it and uh, the other aircraft that might be in the storm can set that. And regardless of what the storm does, then we know we've still got separation. Okay. Um, but sometimes our science requires radar altitudes. Um, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. We still don't stick an altitude. Um, if the storm pushes us down, we let it push us down. If it pushes us up, we let it push us up. And we'll make gradual corrections um, when we're in control fully of the airplane to make those adjustments. Because seriously, in moments when the storm decides it's gonna toss us, we, I've, I've, been, I've been in situations where we caught an updraft and I, I was pushing down um, because the airplane is getting slow as, as the wind is yeah. shifting. And we've got max power set, we're still getting slow, so I'm pushing the nose down to try to regain airspeed. Airspeed's another one that we do really, we try to chase a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to regain airspeed, and I've got the yoke pushed down, and I can feel that the elevator isn't catching. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, there's no air catching in it yet. So the tendency is to want to continue pushing until it catches, and that's a, that's a bad place yeah. to be. So you kind of set something there, and you let the airplane fight, and eventually it catches and starts to move, and then you've got to recover from that and kind of balance the plane. Wow. So we, we don't chase altitudes. We'll, once we're fl- good and flying on our own again, we'll make a little correction and coordinate the power mm-hmm. reduction and all that stuff. But uh, we don't chase altitude. Um, we set 210 knots as our target airspeed for penetrations. That gives us a, a significant buffer between stall on this aircraft, which in our normal our normal flight configuration is probably down in the 150, 140 ballpark. Mm-hmm. And then overstress, which is if we get up over 300 knots we, and, and then we get a G load, we could really break the plane. Right. So a 210 is our target. And we start making adjustments um, in either the, the power setting or the controls if we exceed 220 or we go below 200. So those are call-outs for the guys in the flight station mm-hmm. for how, how we're flying the plane kind of as a crew. Uh, CRM is, is one of our, our biggest our biggest things yeah, for the people say, actively flying the airplane. So you guys still have an engineer, and your engineer is yep. controlling power generally. Yeah, right? we, we hand over, hand over um, power control to the engineer when we're in a storm. Um, because basically the guy in the left seat is wrestling an alligator like with the airplane um, the guy in the right seat is talking is doing all of the talking yeah. as far as coordinating that stuff and he's cross-checking effectively when you're that guy flying your instrument scan becomes about this big yeah. and it goes between three places just back and forth and that's your entire world it's like when you start flying IFR for the first time yeah. and you're 
Like you can't, your scan is so tiny that it's just like boom, 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 and that's it. Well, we go back to that. Um, So the guy flying the plane is is two-handed on the yoke, and he's he's wrestling with that alligator. The guy in the right seat is is doing everything else that you have to do in flight. Thankfully, we don't have a lot of radio calls to make while we're in the middle of a hurricane. Generally, nobody else yeah, flying in there. There ain't a whole lot of folks out there that <laughs> want to talk to us. Um, and then the, the, inst- the engineer is actually watching a speed tape in front of him and looking at trends in the speed based on the airflow. Yeah. And what and what he'll do is, as he sees speed start to taper up he'll pull the power back and try to keep us there himself. So, as you can imagine, if you're flying an airplane and you're trying to maintain an altitude and an airspeed and an attitude by yourself and somebody keeps moving, with, messing with your power levers, it gets kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so in our case, we're, we're typically focused on maintaining an attitude and we let him adjust the power for the speed until he either reaches our max power setting or the flight idle, right. at which point he'll say that and we'll adjust the attitude to try to adjust the speed. So you brought up crew resource management uh, as we were walking through. Uh, it seemed like a pretty big crew, so what it, or a, at least a lot of stations back there. So what is the crew complement of this? So uh, the flight station is two pilots and a flight engineer. Mm-hmm. And when we go out on a mission, we carry three pilots and two flight engineers. Okay. And we do ro- it's up to a nine-hour mission, so we rotate for, for crew safety and fatigue yeah. reasons. Behind them, there's an in-flight meteorologist who is like my right hand. And then there is a navigator who's like my, uh, like the, the flight engineer, the, sorry, the flight meteorologist, it's his right hand. Mm-hmm. So if the flight meteorologist is working only in the, in the weather system, the navigator is keeping, keeping an eye on where that weather system yeah. is in the real world. Because while we would love to be going to Cuba more frequently, <laughs> they still don't like it if we show up unannounced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a P3. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And a P3 that looks a lot like an EP3. Right. Um, so anyway, the, uh, so behind them, we've got, probably five or six different stations where radar operators or okay. scientific researchers can sit. And the complement of that is anywhere from three to seven, depending on what we're doing. Uh, get a little further back, there's our data system operator. He runs all basically all the networking. Mm-hmm. Like This is one giant networked laboratory uh, that flies. So he's got quite a challenging job to manage all of that stuff. And then come a little further back, there are two more science stations and then a station for an observer uh, to sit back in the windows. Okay. So normally our crew complement is about 13. But um, we typically carry up to 17 or 20, depending on how many seats wow. we have installed and the interest from, like, media and congressional reps and, and folks like that. And you'll take them up in a storm? We will, yeah. Oh, wow. We take media all the time um, because part of, part, I mean, we're a government agency. We're very small. Yeah. Part of what we do is awareness, you know. Yeah. So if you want to come see this, if like, people can see us talking about this on the airplane, then it gets our message out. It kind of makes people yeah. aware of what we're doing. And with the congressional reps, well... They cut our checks, money, right? you know, so they yeah. give us the money to do these things. And if they want to know what's go, what that money goes toward, we're more than happy to show yeah. them because we need to upkeep the aircraft. We need new replacement Absolutely, aircraft. Yeah. We need all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and these P3s are probably getting a little long in the tooth now. Uh, too, this right? particular girl was born in 75. She is 44. That's pretty young, actually, yeah. And, uh, I mean, for an airplane. Yeah. And uh, we just put new wings on her uh, two years ago. Yeah. So we're expecting her to stay in service until give or take 2030, 2035, somewhere in that is ballpark. It, is there a different maintenance program? I mean, you're flying, you're putting the aircraft through some pretty stressful mm-hmm. situations. Is there a, sort of an, an upgraded maintenance or a more not, narrow Not purpose? really. Um, our, maintenance, our maintenance cycles are based on exactly what NAVAIR put out for the Navy's mm-hmm. P3s. Uh, we took their, basically we took their pubs and said, okay, this is a good program, we'll <laughs> use this. Um, because we got the same stuff from Lockheed yeah. when we got these airplanes. Um, 
We do inspect a little more frequently yeah. as far as um, some, some parts and components and for robustness. But interestingly enough, um, our flying is less stressful than the way the Navy normally flies their airplanes. Really? Because the stress in a storm is all in flight, and we, we keep our G-loads fairly limited, mm -hmm. like over three and a half, and we abort for an inspection. Yeah. So it's not like we're going out pulling five or six G on the airplane and, and pushing a lot of negative yeah. and torquing it around very much. Um, but... We, we all the counter to that is that we don't do a lot of cycles mm -hmm. like I don't this plane doesn't do 200 touch and goes a year right it it maybe does 75 or 80 yeah. and what's really stressful on airplanes actually is the transition from ground to air and, and vice versa the cycles so this airplane has a lot of hours and it's been through a lot of crazy hours but it actually <laughs> has a very low cycle number which the research research indicates cycles are what actually damage the airplanes like those Southwest planes, the 737s mm -hmm. that were coming apart in flight, and they were like, this, this airplane's young, we don't know why it's doing it. Well, Southwest, those airplanes make three to five hops a day yeah. with, with at full weights and transits and stuff, so there's a reason that they're they're breaking down, and it's usually a cycle count and not a, yeah. not not like a, a life fatigue for what we're doing with the plane. That's amazing. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't mm -hmm. it? So let me ask you this, what's your, what's your most memorable flight that you've had? So I, I have two, I, or three, I'll give you. Um, the first one uh, was my first storm, and it was uh, Hurricane Danny uh, in 2015. And we were flying out of Barbados, and we got in the storm. And it was, at that point in time, it was a Category 1 hurricane. Um, I look back on it, and I think, yeah, that wasn't really that big. A, that, that storm wasn't that big a deal. But it was my first one, yeah. so I was freaking out man <laughs> and uh and we went into it and we were at 12,000 feet when we went in uh, which was is a little higher than normal but we did it because we weren't sure what was going on and we were like okay we'll check it out freezing level was up at 15 or 16,000 feet which is kind of key for we want to be below that uh to avoid icing and lightning sure. and grapple stuff like that so we went in at 12 and we hit grapple and and I was like oh that's weird and loud and awful and I don't know what's happening but I'm flying the air like but my buddy Scott over here, who was the aircraft commander, but he says I'm doing fine, and he's we, uh, we have noise canceling headsets and box. So as the co-pilot, you're usually kind of whispering sweet nothings into the other pilot's ears <laughs> to tell to tell him that it's okay and that he's doing fine, right? yeah. especially when you've got a new guy. So he's he's talking talking to me, keeping me calm and steady, and we go in and we break out into the eye wall, and he was like, "What?" And he, he calls our meteorologist and says, "Hey, Jack, was that grapple?" And Jack was like, "Oh yeah, that was grapple." which is really bad for the airplane. Yeah. It's it's like really wet hail. Um, he's like, okay, what do you want to do? He's like, we need to go down 2,000 feet. And he turns to me and says, Nate, take us down to 10. Well, okay. So I descend <laughs> to 10,000 feet so in, the eye, do, right? in the eye of a hurricane. Like, huh? Meanwhile, Jack is also calling uh, heading changes, or track changes, so that we can hunt the center. Yeah. So I've got the power at idle. I'm dropping it like it's hot, and I'm cranking around yeah. between 30-degree angle bank turns. Those turns can be like... 45 degrees either side yeah. for track changes as he's trying to set it steady out where the wind is and I'm like oh this is this is kind of challenging okay whatever no big deal and we get down to 10,000 everything's fine we go back out um, I did two more penetrations of the storm no big deal what was memorable is I came back in later and Scott and I were having a beer after the flight and he's like uh yeah I um I've never had to do a descent in the eye like that that was that was kind of crazy and I was like dude that was my first first yeah. trip through the storm i don't know what you're talking about well, you got a gold star you had yeah, the right camp like, right this is my first one i don't know yeah. what i'm doing um so that one was memorable uh the second was a pass through um matthew in 2016 
and we came through the storm and the radar was a mess like this huge nasty red like if, if this is my radar scope a quarter of it was this red nasty blob and this was all eyewall mm. and we, our track was just a little off like we mistimed it a bit and we got a little too close to that mess and uh, as we came into the eyewall we got hammered we were down 2,000 feet we were up 1,500 feet um, at one point in time we were in an updraft and and like I was talking about speed bleeding off, that that was a situation where I was laying on the elevator in the plane and it wouldn't catch. Um, and that happened multiple times in that two to three minutes of the eyewall penetration. Um, and it was it was gross. Uh, the G spike was only about uh, 2.9, um, so it wasn't an abort thing. But we came into that eye, and normally when we're like I talked about CRM, normally we are chatty, like everybody's talking all the time. We broke out, and as soon as as once you break out into the eye. The, it's like the lights come on a little bit, like as it gets bright again, and everybody knows you're through because the plane steadies out and, and it gets bright. So that moment happened, and it was dead silent on our ICS for about ten seconds. And and all you and um, the pilots that are up front on Vox, like you, we could hear each other breathing, but that was mm. it. And then about ten seconds in, it, um, my buddy Chris was with me at that point. He said, "You guys okay?" And I was like. Yeah. All right. Let's go. And it was it was just one of those moments <laughs> where like, okay, we're all still alive. We're all still good. Let's get back to work. And we hunted center. And ironically, the other side of the eye wall was open, so we got a little bumpy with some wind shear. Because even when even when an, uh, a storm's eye wall is not closed with clouds, there is still a wind field there. Okay. So you can go through clear air, but it's still very windy. Yeah. Um, so we cruised out and took care of that one. That was the worst penetration of our of our oh. season that year. And by the way, you can find a video of that on Facebook. If you go to the NOAA Hurricane Hunters Facebook page, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's labeled as like Matthew 2016 or something like that. And, and at the very start of the video, you can see somebody in the left seat, like a green flight glove flying the plane. That's my hand. That's your hand, that's your hand, hand model. Yeah, that's yeah. my hand. In a glove. Yeah. No big deal. Um, and then the third one that I'll tell you, because uh, I don't know what your, what your timeline looks like. Oh, we're good. Yeah. The third one is last year in Michael, uh, I was not flying. Um, I... I was the co-pilot to another senior aircraft commander, and I had done my rotation, my couple of penetrations, I was done. I hopped out. I was in the back taking a nap because we have a rack in the back of the mm -hmm. airplane here for rest purposes, yeah, and it's got a seatbelt on it, you know, so you're not going to get thrown around too much, too much. Um, and they were going in for the last pass of the storm, and literally we took a, a really heavy negative G, or it wasn't negative, but it was probably like a .25, enough to get you a little floaty. Uh -huh. So we're coming down. We're... We're a little floaty, and I'm in the rack, and I was asleep, so I didn't brace myself at all when this started to happen. And I came floating up a little bit on my toward my head, and my knees floated up a bit. And then when the G loaded back up on the airplane and it came back down, it folded me over my seatbelt, and I cracked my head on the ceiling. Oh no! I actually had to look at the the other flight engineer was sleeping down in the other rack, and I looked at him and was like, "Hey man, am I bleeding?" Uh, and he's like, "No." I was like, "Okay, pretty sure I don't have a concussion, but I'll get checked out when I get Oof. home." Um, so those are my, my top three yeah. moments um, in terms of what the worst storms I've flown into uh, laying out in the Central Pacific last year. That that was the storm to beat all storms as far uh -huh. as I'm concerned. Because if we had a Cat 7, it would have been a Cat 7. Like we, we stopped counting at 5, but, but storms get bigger than that. Yeah. That's amazing. I, so amazing what an amazing mission i you know i've never been i, I knew the hurricane hunters this is very cool so you kind of mentioned the facebook page mm -hmm. um 
obviously I can I can imagine if people can go to NOAA find some information or yeah so there's Google. if you if you Google NOAA um, for example if you were looking for the Commissioned Officer Corps mm -hmm. if you Google NOAA Commissioned Officer Corps it will get you to okay. our a, a web page for that um, if you go to just NOAA's homepage there's a, a link system that will eventually yeah. filter you down there um, our official the official website doesn't have as much of our media stuff because everybody on the airplane is taking videos with their sure, like, sure. seriously Apple could probably do a hurricane hunter <laughs> like shot on iPhone commercial uh, because 90% of our 90, 90% of our stuff is shot from folks phones yeah. you know, sitting in windows um, but yeah most of that just gets um, through our PAO okay. our public affairs guy goes right to right to Facebook Maybe to Twitter. I don't know. I'm not a Twitter guy. Yeah. I, I don't get it. But, uh, but what's this called? So it's on social media somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. it's definitely on social media yeah. somewhere. Um, and I know our Facebook page um, has all of those videos available. So yeah. if you go to the, Hur the Noah Hurricane Hunters Facebook page, you can find all of that stuff. Okay. And we always end with one question. As a pilot, if, you could, if money was no object, if you could fly any airplane in the world, past or present, what would it be? Can I have a counter question? Sure. Are we talking about like one flight just for grins or do I get to fly this thing a lot? Uh, one flight. Um, I am a child of the 80s, the F-14D. Nice. You're, that's yeah. going to go over well with the listeners. Top, Top Gun got me into the Navy. <laughs> Top Gun kept me in the Navy even though I flew P-3s. That's awesome. And I have been known to quote that movie at least once a day. I know it's not real. I get it. But I love it anyway. I would expect no less from you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much You're for taking well. the time. Yep. Great. Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. <laughs> so I'm just reading Richard Adams' comment in the chat room about that uh, interview there. He said, imagine meeting this bloke in a pub, you'd drink it dry without getting bored. <laughs> I know, wouldn't you? <laughs> wouldn't you? Absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Was, that um, was really good. It was, was really yeah, good. Worth, worth revisiting, actually. And as I say, obviously very appropriate at the moment as well. So, mm. Uh, mm. yeah, very good stuff. Very good stuff uh, indeed. Welcome, actually, to uh, Dr. Steph. Dr. Steph's joined us in the uh, in the chat room. So, hello to you, Ooh. Steph. Hope you're well. Oh, I say we've got two two bits of royalty in, in, in the chat room then. That we have. That we have. Indeed. Yeah, okay. So uh, moving on to the next part of the show, and uh, obviously it's Nev's favourite part of the show each week that he uh, sits, he sits riveted to his seat to watch. <laughs> and uh, this week uh, the military segment is brought to us by Armando. So if you're ready, Matt, hit the yeah, button. Here we go. This is going to make Jonathan Warner super happy. This is from the Business Insider website. The U.S. Navy is preparing to receive F-16 fighter fighting Falcons from the Air Force 
as it moves to rid its inventory of the legacy F-18 Hornet models used in its reserve fleets. That's according to the fiscal year 2022 budget proposal. The Navy will shelve roughly 55 aircraft over the next year, according to the documents, in hopes of transitioning to the F-A-18E Super Hornet. Uh, but to make sure it has enough fighters to be available amid the, con the conversion, it expects the Air Force to transfer some F-16s to the Navy. Uh, according to them, they say this divestment reduces long-term support costs of older Hornets while retaining adversary capability, the documents state, but do not specify the number of F-16s that are actually needed. Sea Power magazine reported earlier that this month that the F-16s could come from the Air National Guard, uh, or the Air, the, which is part of the Air Force. Uh, so the drive reported that F-16s will be used for aggressor training or to act to act as enemy forces in air-to-air -air training. Um, the service is moving to reduce its fighter force and focus on the Super Hornet, the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, and the F-18 follow-on aircraft currently known as the F-A-X-X, which defies traditional categorization as a single aircraft platform or technology, potentially using a fighter flying alongside some kind of artificially intelligent uh, enhanced drone or, or wingman concept. The uh, service is actually weighing whether the FAXX will be manned, unmanned, partially autonomous, or some other variation of that, according to the Navy. Now, the Navy has actually accepted F-16s before. There's 26 special F-16N model versions, 22 single-seat, four, uh, four two-seat aircraft that were used between 1988 and 1998 for aggressor training or as you've probably seen them in the Top Gun movies. Um, there you go. So the Navy is going to be flying some uh, F-16s in the near future again. Can we take a moment, please, to appreciate uh, not only the uh, the effort that Armando goes to in very kindly, <laughs> even though he's got the most ridiculous schedule in the entire world at the moment, and sent us lots of little video clips so that we can include him, but also um, his green screens are amazing, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I said that to Matt earlier. I said when we were watching him play out from uh, Amanda before, I said that looks really good, that green screen. An and then there was a little screen, piece of fluff blew along but the, oh, behind there? Armando, and then an aircraft took off behind him and right. it ruined the whole... Um, oh, did it? Yeah. It, the, right, yeah. the moving aircraft is what ruined it. It what you. ruined it, yeah. Right. But okay. um, yeah. no, there thank you, you for that, Armando. Have we heard it there here first? Yeah, no, impressive. And no, he does a nice job there, doesn't he? Uh, mm. Definitely. So, and as you say, Armando's so busy with his schedule. Oh, how he finds time to do all this, I will never know. I know. But so we are eternally grateful because it means I haven't got to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and Quite, on that bombshell, moving on to the next one. Uh, this uh, one, next story actually from Armando, is uh, come to us. Come to us actually from literally twenty minutes up the road from where me and Matt lives here. Uh, from uh, the um, even though he's not, yeah, even though Armando's not, yeah. <laughs> this is uh, from our local airport, uh, London Norwich Airport here oh, no. in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from Norwich and uh, yeah this one uh, it's fr pun from RAF Harum well yeah. the yeah, yeah that the, the jet is in, in question but yeah. the actual event happened uh, over, over Norwich, Norwich here. Yes, yeah absolutely but uh, yeah. this one is uh, comes to us from BBC so uh, Matt hit the button it's from the BBC. A helicopter pilot reported a near miss event after four RAF F-35s flew close by the AW-139 was flying over Norwich on 24 February when ATC informed the pilot of intense military activity in his vicinity. That's according to an AirProx report. The four F-35s are flying in formation as part of a course at the time. The vertical separation between one of the jets and the helicopter was actually recorded down to 600 feet or 183 meters. 
After being notified of the jet's presence, the helicopter pilot spotted three of the four jets. According to the report, they said that the AW-139 could not predict the F-35 pilot's intentions, so they elected to maintain course and altitude initially. But then they uh, descended when, they could, when the conflicting flight paths became apparent to the pilot. The report added that the crew should be commended for their proactive actions to help reduce the risk of a collision. So the first F-35 jet was actually unaware that the helicopter was there and passed over it at a, at a distance of about 1,000 feet or 300 meters, according to that report. The second jet's sensors, probably a TCAS, detected the AW-139 and uh, stopped the descent before informing the third F-35, which enabled the aircraft to increase the separation. It was actually the second jet that passed over the helicopter around 300 or 600 feet. So the report said that the pilot of the second jet should be commended for their quick action in passing the traffic information to the third F-35. Now that AW-139 was under Norwich's air traffic control while the F-35s were under Marham's air traffic control. The, rep the report found that the Marham radar controller's workload at the time was quoted as high and an opportunity to, pro to provide additional support had been missed. All F-35 operators have been mandated to read this AirProx report in the incident as a case study to help improve situational awareness and the importance of lookout as much as uh, the continued need to follow good airmanship practice. Um, so as a result of this report, the level of supervision to controllers will be increased during busy periods. And this is just uh, one of those things that happens when you put two pieces of metal, or in this case it's five pieces of metal, in the same air, airspace at the same time. Uh, it can be really, really crowded over there, over the uh, the North Sea and the Wash over in East Anglia. And we've talked about that quite a few times on the uh, on the show. But in this case, everybody came out okay and uh, nothing but lessons learned for the future. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we were just actually... Uh... Uh, we were just sort of saying, I think there's a, a, a comment in the chat room, I think, John, if you could pop it up here from Alan White. Ima imagine how loud that was in the AW139. I mean, a four-ship F-35 uh, formation passing that close to you. I mean, I mean, they're loud enough when you're on the ground, like, you know, I don't know how long away. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's lots of things that really surprise me about this story. Um it's uh, it it, it I, I, the, the the question I suppose is I guess it'll all come out in the report but whose fault is it? Mm. You know? Yeah, it's. I mean, we all know most of the listeners will know, and obviously Nev and all the other team are aware that where me and Matt live here in the area that we live in is there is a a lot of military activity through pretty much all the day, mm. isn't there, Matt? Including at nights as well, um, and. Because of everything is so compact where we are in East Anglia, there are so many um, bases. You know, you've got um, RF Marham, Lakenheath, Mildenhall, and Honington, all within a stone's throw of each other, and literally just off to the um, to the east of those is where Norwich, their um, their control zone is at Norwich, mm -hmm. and there 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 isn't much. If you if you ever look at an, a a, um, a a flight, you know, map or Sky Demon or any sort of app, app like that which you can use, um, you can see on there exactly how close all these places are in respect to the to the ATZs, uh, AT air traffic control zones around each of these particular bases plus Norwich Airport, and there isn't much room for, you know, to, for 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 moving about as such. Um, 
and obviously low-level flying as well. And Norwich, don't forget as well, is an incredibly busy airport for offshore helicopters. Yeah, helicopters all through the yeah, day. Absolutely. Um, not so much. Uh, there's not a huge amount of commercial airliners going in and out there each day, no. as we all know. No. But uh, no, the the offshore rigs and obviously the East Anglia Air Ambulance as well is based at They're Norwich based Airport, there, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is also an important one. But yeah, it um, yeah I'd. I struggle to see how this could happen, especially with the technology that the, especially the, um, the 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 military aircraft have yeah. on board. But, Miles uh, Hires uh, mm. popped uh, a message up there, Carlos. Yes, yes, very true. They are supposed to communicate with each other. Maybe read uh, um, the audience. Yeah, yeah. Miles High yeah. saying, yeah. sorry, Miles High saying, he's surprised there's not much uh, interaction between the military and the civilian ATC. And I know through my experience that you know when you're flying over, uh, especially Watersham, which is another base not far from where we are here, mm. um, a bit further down uh, the east coast, um, which is where the Apaches are based. You know, before you even get anywhere near to Watersham as a, as a, a GA pilot, you have to radio ahead and ask for um, permission to transit the zone. You know, transit yeah. through their airspace, and. It's the same as far as I know with uh, military calling into somewhere like Norwich and asking for permission to um, move into the, the control zone there at Norwich, which is not a huge area, but it's worth looking on uh, on a navigation uh, chart mm. if you've got one handy. Or like I said, Sky Demon as well as another good uh, source to look at these charts on to see um, where you know whereabouts, well, like say where me and Matt live here. That there is a heck of a lot of stuff around here, and let and again. We've got Peckles up the road yeah. with parachutes. True, yeah, absolutely. Which are up every single day, um, which is another very busy airspace as well, not far from where we are here. So, well, you know, there we that's go. what that's what that that's what the, 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 the that's the job of the investigators, isn't it? At mm. the end of the day, we'll have answers for this uh, later uh, yeah. on. Yes, okay. So. Moving on, and uh, next part of the show, it is uh, the, obviously the social media, Facebook, uh, for all you guys and girls who follow us on Facebook, will know that we run our caption this each week. It's a bit of fun, uh, a bit of kind of, you know, a bit of banter between the uh, people in the chat room <laughs> as well, obviously with the uh, caption and the picture. But this week's picture, which uh, Matt will pop up on the screen in just a moment, is, um, what can we say, this is, a, I mean... I'm going to go off here and say it is probably a, um, a KLM aircraft, wouldn't you say, Nev? It is, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, for the uh, benefit of the audio listeners, it's uh, it's in flight. Right. And uh, the 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 FO and the captain are um, leaning out of the windows, cleaning, cleaning the windows, aren't they? windows, which have been... Nev's fine, so it's and it's back. Yes, so they're cleaning the windscreen on this aircraft, and we have had some re reasonably very much music uh, comments in actually this week. We had some good, uh, well, some good feedback. Really good, yeah, actually, they've been yeah. really good. And uh, actually, we'll start with the first one, and uh, I'll take the first one. Here we go. Ivo, Ivo says, uh, "Is that chip in the windscreen smaller than a pound coin?" It is. Right, straight to Tesco's car park for those windscreen repair guys who will do it whilst we wait. We'll do it in no time at all. Yes, that is a, that oh. is a very good point. That is a very good point indeed. Uh, Nev, do you want to take the next one? 
Yes, Matt says that when the plane above and ahead of you in the corridor flushes the lav and you forgot to top up on Rainex. <laughs> Damn good stuff that Rainex is. It is. It is good. I think Matt, I, used to, I used to use that on my scooter, I think. It's when good I used stuff. To, yeah, absolutely. Uh, John is saying uh, it, that uh, EasyJet pilots get to grips with cleaning the windscreen in flight after they ran out of time on the ground, having already fueled the aircraft on their 10-minute turnaround. EasyJet says we value all. <laughs> our employees <laughs> Daniel says uh, I thought we'd outclimb those pesky seagulls like that one Daniel <laughs> Nev Jordan says I am not doing an, another bird strike report tonight Tim <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Matt, oh, Matt. go on oh, do this oh, one. Oh, my yes, it's a, uh, what is it it's a autoglass repair autoglass replace <laughs> from Jake <laughs> we needed yeah, for our yeah. global audience, yeah, yeah Autoglass, yeah. yeah. Yeah, is a is a windscreen repair replacement company here. Uh, Gareth, <laughs> our listener Gareth, uh, I know he's in the chat room most all the time. Uh, Gareth says, uh, John, is that the seagull that stole your Cornish pasty and wedding ring? <laughs> Very good, Garth, well good. I like it. Nev? Stephen says, when it's your 10th bird strike in the week... And it's go home day. Quite, absolutely. Yes, nothing will stop me at all costs. And the last one is in from Neil. Uh, Autoglass now provide an aviation service for in-flight windscreen repairs. (laughs) Indeed, there's a few in the chat room. Oh, we've got some for the chat room. uh, Absolutely. Hopefully John will pop them up on screen for us. So Richard Adams says, you missed a bit. Uh, which is which is very true. Dirk S says different meaning of bird strike. Uh, <laughs> Richard Adams again scoring the bird strikes <laughs> and uh, miles high. How much? How much is is? Oh, how much is the deductible? Oh dear. Actually, you say that whenever you because uh, I've had a bird like when I used to, like driving the coaches and stuff, and I had a massive wood pigeon smack right in oh, the middle of my windscreen. Yeah. At, and I was doing like sixty miles an hour on a piece of dual carriageway at the time, and it swallowed on the screen. And I ducked every time. <laughs> I, start, I don't know how that helps oh. me ducking. But uh, Alan White saying the KLM flight in Norwich was not so lucky as the AW139. That's that's probably very true. (laughs) We've got an interesting fact from Dr. Steph here. Uh, Oh, Safe Light has the same commercial jingle, apparently. I mean, there is every chance, Dr. Steph, that my singing of that jingle was horrendous. Uh, mm, even got a, a, a copyright strike. <laughs> we might yeah, do, it was yeah. that perfect. Yeah, it was that perfect. Yeah. There but, we go. Uh, but so, thanks everyone who uh, chipped in on that uh, this week. Uh, as always, it'll be back next Wednesday on Facebook. So if you don't already uh, follow us on Facebook, just check us out, uh, Plain Talking UK, on Facebook and give us a like and uh, keep your eyes on there on Wednesday mornings. So coming up on next week's show, Matt. Uh, right. Okay, right. Yes. Yeah, so, sorry. No, it's not what's uh, up coming up this week's week. But we we've got a very exciting interview lined up with uh, a lovely lady by the name of Julie Reynolds, who uh, is cabin crew for BA, and uh, we're going to be recording that interview hopefully in the coming weeks. And we would love you, please, because our, our chat room is amazing, but all our listeners are amazing as well. So this is your opportunity to ask um, the lovely Julie anything you want about her career. 
and uh, we'd love you to get in touch with us please to get that information in as I say we're going to be recording that in the coming weeks and in order to do that what you can do uh, to get your question in you can pop it into us by emailing podcast at plaintalkinguk.com that's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com you can also send it in to us via our whatsapp that's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six that's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six while we're doing it, we might as well run through the social oh, just as quickly well. matt before so, you move on oh, go on and on another note we might uh, have as well in a few weeks time uh, for all you ga pilots who watch and listen to the show uh, we are in talks at the minute to to have the the guys from sky demon on the show oh, be who uh, do yeah, the GA app, flight planning app so that'll be good indeed yeah I'll just finish off the socials then if I may website uh, we have a contact form on there you can pop that uh, you can get a question in that way as well www.plaintalkinguk.com and also don't forget if you haven't done so already why not follow us on our socials uh, that's how you can uh, get something into us for the caption competition uh, search uh, Twitter Facebook and Instagram all for the tag Plain Talking UK all as one word Yes, uh, she'll be doing some shopping on Amazon, I think, Ooh, again uh, this weekend, yes. Yes, when don't you? Some <laughs> more cat food. <laughs> right, okay, oh, it's the special... Pr- Using the PTK link, of obviously. Course, that's what I like to hear. Very, very good, good, very good. good. Okay. Right, so we are going to bring... Uh, oh, we're going to start to wrap up the show, I suppose. Just going to have a quick run round before we do, though. Nev, what's going on in the world of uh, Mr Bounds uh, uh, next Yes, week? well, next week, on, on Wednesday of next week, uh, I'm uh, appearing on another podcast. <gasps> I beg your pardon? Pardon? <laughs> Uh, not aviation related. Oh, oh, okay, fine, that's fair enough. Something that I actually know something about. So it's uh, an audio visual one, uh, and uh, that's coming up on Wednesday lunchtime. So if I can find the link for that, I'm, I might just post that. Do please, yes, uh, absolutely. For your fun and enjoyment. Oh, I look forward to uh, yeah, that. No, and heckling. And I will love that. <laughs> Is it a live one, Nev, or is it pre-recorded? It's a live. Oh my goodness, this could be dangerous. Absolutely, yeah. I, oh, I look forward to that. Let's hope their moderators are up to scratch. That sounds like yes. a challenge for you. We don't want anybody. They'll need a whole garage worth of blue Spanish <laughs> yes, when we get in there. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah, absolutely. Yes. We, yes, that'll be fun. Oh, great. Oh, look forward to hearing all about that, Nev. Yeah, so that'll be good. Um, and uh, yeah, we're sort of back to work normally uh, next week. It's a, mm. a full week uh, rather than one with the bank holiday in it, oh. which is a pity because I was quite lucky. Yeah, it's the, a four day, uh, four day week idea. Yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree with you there. What about you, Carlos? What are you up to next week? <laughs> the, the usual, Matt. Drive. Oh, what stuck stuck on the A one four three? A one four three hours on end. Yes, okay. <laughs> Welcome to the East Anglia. Although yeah. I, I am very tempted after this week because the weather's been so nice. Apart from today, obviously, but the weather's been so nice in the UK this week, and obviously part of the job that I do is picking up certain items from just across the field from where I learned to fly at okay, Beckles. Right. And I am toying on the idea of just slinging the camera in the truck next Ooh, week okay because right. while i'm there i do have time to take a few pictures and there's been a lot of activity there this week actually so yeah, it's busy um, old airfield now isn't it yes yeah. yeah actually for any of our ga listeners uh who may have flown into beckles in the last couple of years mm. if you try flying into beckles now you won't recognize you it. will not recognize the <laughs> airfield because they have a fully tarmac runway yeah. and uh updated taxiways and a restaurant and uh, new radio room. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, come yeah, visit. Come visit. Yeah, yeah. Come visit definitely. Uh, that that's the future. Matt, what are you doing next week? Apart from hosting a certain breakfast radio show all next week, Matt, what are you doing? 
Um, yeah, that, that's that's it really. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to be getting up at four thirty every day oh, for the no. next for the next five days uh, to to host the. It, that's uh, not that early in the morning, is it? Yes, it is. See, unlike when you did it on Sunday, Carlos, where you can just submit one list and, and rock up, uh, and then magically everything's appeared in the playout system. Uh, somebody has to has to basically you've got you've got to pop you've got to pop all the music in. There's no automated way of doing that, so you've got to you've got to pop all the music in. So, so what, what time is that then? Next so week? Uh, six till nine. Six till nine. Six till nine. Okay. Monday to Friday on on Park Radio. I shall be listening. Yeah, indeed. Yes, absolutely. The the lovely Chris Moyes is on holiday this week, and mm. for some very bizarre reason, he's left me in charge of his baby oh, i don't really know why uh but uh, there we go we'll have a go that's that's all we can do isn't it we'll have a go i look forward are you on this sunday as well i am on this sunday oh as well. yeah, sunday absolutely that's in the afternoon though so i can sleep yeah. before then if yeah. you haven't i know it's just absolutely hideously shameless plug for matt but if you haven't already listened to matt check out his sunday afternoon show on park radio uh, over on Alexa or whatever device you use uh, my interview to. this week is with the lovely johnny crickmore from fen farm dairy oh which where they do the raw milk. Where they do the raw milk up the road. Uh, Brian so, Coleman sampled yeah, that yeah, raw milk. He did, yeah, the shed, yeah. from the shed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talk about the shed yeah. and all that kind of thing. So there we go. Anyway, enough shameless plugging. Enough here. shameless plugging. Time, time to go. That's it then. That's uh, <laughs> where we are going to bring episode number 370 to a close. Massive thanks to everyone in the YouTube chat room for joining us this evening and taking time out your Friday. We really do appreciate you all joining us each week. And uh, so, and a big thanks as well to John for all his pre-show production work behind the scenes this week, as well as always, legendary work, awesome, well done, and, and, for, uh, and for putting up for me for being re grumpy earlier and, in the show. Yes, <laughs> and uh, also big thanks as well, not forgetting all the massive amount of work that Armando's done this week, yep. bringing us those recorded segments. So thank mm. you, Armando, because uh, I know you'll listen back to the show. I expect to make sure we've done you a good job. Uh, <laughs> make big, sure we played them. I think. But I know. Big thanks to Ned. <laughs> as well for uh, being on the show again this week lovely to see you Nev as always and uh, Matt it's been nice to be back in the studio again a second two, time two weeks in I know, row, it's two it? weeks yeah, in a row I'm getting fantastic. used to it now getting used to being like around other humans now. I know, it's, 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 I know. Yeah, exciting time so from me and Matt here in the P- oh my hands disappeared like from me and Matt here in the PTUK Master Don't Suite studio again. from <laughs> Nev in his glorious mansion over in Buckinghamshire and uh, from John, our producer, wherever in the world he is, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend and see you next Friday. Bye-bye. Do 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 do.